Hello. Welcome to the Water Justice Podcast. Join us as we share stories about water and social justice challenges from across the globe. Your hosts for this episode are Quentin Grafton and Salva Fanayan, and I'm Kat Taylor. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia on which this podcast has been produced and honour their connections to land, sea and community. Quentin and Safa attended the UN Water Conference in New York, which was exciting as the first one happened 47 years ago. This second UN Water Conference sought to unite the world around water and accelerate action towards water and sanitation for all. They met with a few participants to gain insights into the UN Water Conference and expectations for the next steps. One of the experts they met was Robert Hope, who is Professor of Water Policy at the University of Oxford, who offered his thoughts on whether there were reasons to be optimistic about the conference. Just a quick disclaimer, we do apologise for the audio not being the best quality. However, we believe the content is still valuable and worth sharing with you nonetheless. I think, that, I mean, the first thing to say, I think it's it's great that we have this event. Um, I think from my, from my perspective, it's partly driven because of the concerns with climate and the COP negotiations that now water is you know the adaptation story so there's more political focus on that and more economic focus so I think it's not by chance that we're having the water conference now and it's it's an opportunity for us to um, you know develop a clearer action plan not only the sort of you know this medium term assessment in terms of the current decade that we're in in terms of water action and the SDGs but for us as a global community to come together and see what action, um, what, what we have achieved and what we can and need to achieve going forward. And there's, um, there's a bunch of gaps within that. We know, um, and Quentin and you know, um, all the gaps that we have, um, particularly around biodiversity and ecosystems, which are horribly under pressure and um, disappearing before us rapidly. How do we find a more structured way to engage and prevent and protect those going forward. And I don't think we have a very strong playbook in terms of what that looks like. So hopefully this will provide us more insights in terms of what we can do on that front. Um, One of the areas I'm more directly involved in the sort of drinking water issue, I think um, it will be interesting to see the engagement of my governments on that. I mean, the key thing that I would like to see from the conference, other than what the adjacent action agenda would be but who is leading that and the role of governments within this I think is just pivotal and this is good that the UN is hosting this the member states are here and what actions governments are taking so I don't know what that will be Um, I'm optimistic as always but it will be interesting to see what gets prioritized within that and who's leading that um, um, as a conclusion to the conference now one of the items that have been highlighted about UN 2023 Water Conference and going beyond that is that water doesn't seem to fit in, you know, as you mentioned, the Conference of the Parties for, for Climate Change, but of course there's, there's one for, for biodiversity. Um, so would you, would you think that is a direction or do you think the UN should go in another direction, something different to a, to a COP type of approach or, or go to something else to, to give water the focus or is that is that sort of defeating it in the sense that water seems to connect to all the sustainable development goals is it is there something else needed um i mean i think it's a great question i mean 
one of my reflections is whether water could sort of engage more within the COP, the momentum, the history of mm. COP, whether, as we saw in um, Shamal Sheikh, that you could have more of a water focus within that because the climate water linkages are yeah. so clear to all yes, of us, yes. whether that could link in where yeah. you have high-level political engagement. I think we have to be pragmatic in terms of the realm of the possible, in terms of global leadership, how many events they can actually go to. Climate has that at the moment. So I think for water to be more closely associated with COP would be good. And to think of you know what would be um, the measurable outcomes that could be tracked year on year. What are governments doing? about you know protecting rivers aquifers drinking water yes. keep it simple keep it manageable that it plays into a political constituency but link that into to cop having a separate event yeah. who's going to fund it where is the political constituency for that i think that's that's a challenge i Maybe think it's a fact, step too far yeah. i mean as sasseva said it's 46 years since the last one we don't, we don't, you know, you and I will be dead, Quentin. Yes. Sasa hopefully will still be around. We, we can't wait another 46 years. So how do you link it in to where there's already political momentum, yeah. um, I think would be the thing to try and um, focus on. In a super optimistic scenario, out of this conference, what are the three things you think if come out would be the most wonderful um, I think it's government commitments. I think it's government, government, government. I think, um, I mean, I've written... Which specific things, if you had to pick, you were allowed to pick? I'm allowed to pick. So, I, I mean, I would go to what I sort of said. I would sort of say rivers, aquifers, and drinking water. I think if all countries can make progress in those three areas, we would solve a lot, not all, but we'd solve a lot of the issues that we face everywhere. I mean, we were talking before about Murray-Darling Basin and the challenges there. You have the same in the UK, you have similar challenges in India and Bangladesh. Everywhere has these challenges, but to address those, I think, would be would be an amazing thing to do. And we do have a lot of knowledge, we have a lot of understanding, but the results are very unsatisfactory, should we say. The same for aquifers, we understand groundwater is so critically important. To just bring more attention to that, we've just come out of the the year, the groundwater year, the UN, what, whatever whatever it was, but it was the UN groundwater year. And there was lots of things that we understand that, but what are people doing in concrete terms to that? And we know through a, a, few, a bit of our work that we do um, at Oxford that there are there are ways and means that you can progress things, but you again you need to link government into this to take responsibility to managing and protecting you know critical aquifer systems, and we've been very bad at that in almost all contexts. And to you know provide approaches that governments can take forward. I don't think governments are against the idea, but there's not a sense of what do we do. I don't think as a scientific community we give them enough information and enough models for how this could work. And then the drinking water side, which I could talk about for a long time. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more because you've been very active in that space both in Africa and mm -hmm. in South Asia. I mean, so often when we, when we talk about water in, in the UN's space, mm -hmm. it, it's often about you know water and sanitation and health, mm -hmm. and that space that you know very well. Mm -hmm. um, so the standard approach, if you want to use the standard approach, you know, pipes and, mm -hmm. uh, and taps sort of thing, is, is, is 
and you know what where do you think the priority should be is it it should be in that space or was it all context specific or, or whatever um, I mean, I think the scale of the question is really important, and I think it is the local context matters because aquifers vary. So, well, yeah. we do a lot of work either in Kenya or Bangladesh. You see different issues playing out. So, Bangladesh, you know, notoriously has lots of issues with arsenic, but also salinity is a major problem. Manganese is increasingly so. In Kenya, you have more issues with fluoride. Salinity is still a problem there as well, but it varies in terms of context and then the bacteriological issues that we know. I think one of the helpful things with the SDGs is move from building access to delivering services. And it, this has gone from one dimension, we have to build the infrastructure, which we got quite good at, but we weren't good in terms of the quality, the reliability, the affordability, the non-discrimination, which is, an ex, you know, a, you know, increasingly higher challenge for, you know, governments and people to face. Um, and we have focused largely on communities, certainly in rural contexts, and not really looked at schools or healthcare facilities. So we've been doing quite a lot of work in that space because we hope there there is more of a political constituency. Education generally has larger budgets yes. to look at that. Um, and some of the work we've been doing with the government of Bangladesh has been testing out a model that brings all of the schools under a professional service delivery model at the political unit in Bangladesh, that's the district level, so around 2,000 schools in a district, and having those all professionally managed to make sure their reliability and water quality meets the standards. But critically, critically, if there is a problem, there is a responsibility to address the problem. Yes. And this is the problem that's lacking everywhere, that there isn't. So if you have very high levels of arsenic, um, and we've seen astonishing high levels of arsenic in some of these schools, who is responsible for addressing that problem and how quickly? And the government's responding to that. We're getting sort of, you know, emerging but promising results from that. But it's putting those institutional structures in place with the funding behind it to make sure those those go forward and that could be replicated it would be if it works well it could be replicated across all the 64 districts in in Bangladesh there's no reason other countries can't be doing these things as well that's professor Robert Hope speaking about some of the shortcomings of water security projects and where he believes such efforts should be redirected Quentin and Safa were also fortunate to speak to Dr Nate Matthews a prolific author and researcher who is the CEO of the Global Resilience Partnership. They begin the chat by asking Dr Matthews whether he believes there have been any radical changes over the last 47 years since the UN Water Conference was created. I I think there's been so many changes, it's hard to put a finger on any one, but I think the one that's probably most on people's minds at least right now, is with regards to climate change. So, obviously, the climate is changing rapidly, and we're seeing climate impacts primarily through water, uh, be it droughts, floods, um, and, and changing in precipitation, etc. And I think that's what we've seen with UN Water, so it's 45 years since the last one, 1977. Um, and really is is how we can connect the UN water agenda to the UN FCCC climate agenda and sort of that 
close that gap, if you will. So you spent a lot of time working in the climate change space, mitigation and adaptation. So what can we learn in the water space in terms of, you know, uh, conference of the parties, in terms of the science and the evidence around the IPCC, for example? Can we, can, can we have learnings of what's worked and what hasn't worked and put it into the water space? Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I think if we think about climate change from a mitigation perspective, it's, it's quite straightforward because it's, you know, a goal towards reducing emissions, be it net zero, um, and on the resilience and adaptation side, it's a bit more challenging because resilience and adaptation means different things within different contexts. Um, but it is about building resilience, at least we approach it as building resilience for an uncertain future. I think one of the challenges with water and trying to learn from the climate space is water, to me, feels a bit more fragmented. Um, so you've got the wash sector and you have... Um, you know, the food component of it, which is also highly political. You've got freshwater and rivers and, and different components across it. And I would also venture that water is perhaps a bit more conservative, um, given that the heads of a lot of water organizations tend to be irrigation engineers, agricultural engineers, and others, and they maybe take a different view. I think one of the things that I would love to see in the water space that exists right now in the climate space is more youth activism. Um, so I'm, I get really real pleasure from seeing the likes of Vanessa Natake and Elizabeth Batuki and others getting up on stage and, and calling out world leaders and CEOs and, and others about their lack of follow-up on their commitments and really putting pressure on. And I think that kind of pressure from the youth could shake up the water sector in a way to drive more ambitious action um, and break some of the resilience that sort of keeps us in the status quo. Yeah, so in terms of, of course, you're so youthful yourself, Nate. <laughs> I've been called an elder youth, and I'm holding on to that dearly. So. <laughs> Grab it for your for the rest of your life. No, so let's connect, perhaps, in terms of measurements and numbers. And so you had the good fortune to work with uh, the late Tony Allen, and of course, his work in terms of you know what's now called virtual water. Uh, does that have traction in the water space in the context of uh, measuring something, uh, seeing what that tells us, and then leading to action? Is that a is that a uh, is that a an avenue for that we can go down in the context of, of the water space and making it bigger and better, so to speak? Or, or do we need to think about, as you were saying, with, with climate change, you know, we, we, we know what the emissions are, we know where they're coming from, we know how to bring them down, but we're just not doing it. So, so that's a complicated question. That's okay, <laughs> but it's trying to bring in this idea of measurement and then action. I suppose that's the sort of the intro on it. Yeah. So I think from a, a measurement perspective, so I'm, I'm really excited about the advances in remote sensing, uh, advances in AI, um, looking at, say, flood forecasting with AI that Google's doing and others, and water counting systems yep. are getting better. I think Tony's... Um, 
you know, having the great pleasure of having him as my PhD supervisor and a, and a friend and a mentor, um, I think Tony's message was really around the role of virtual water in communicating and understanding that water flows between countries through the trade of food. Um, and I think that also opens up some interesting considerations when we think about the war in Ukraine, for example, and, and just the, the the security that we place on that virtual water trade um, and, and with regards to grain stocks and, and companies being reliant on trade um, to, to secure their food, which is ultimately to secure their, their water as well. So I think that's an interesting dimension of it. I think there's, there's context that's necessary when we talk about water footprints, um, and so there's different layers of that. But I think the, yeah, the power in the measurement today, I think, is within the developments in technology that are, that are quite exciting. And I think they could give a lot of hope to understanding um, shifts in where the climate will add pressure to water resources and where um, people can then devise appropriate mitigation and, and resilience strategies. Yeah, so at least that's the beginning, isn't it? You've you got to measure to manage, as they say. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to pivot a little bit to some of the points you had mentioned earlier about youth and then also about the war. I was having conversations with some of them um, yesterday and many of them are quite despondent on the nature of what is getting attention versus what is not getting attention. There is, at any point of time, water time, it does not seem to be given enough priority as per se investments for war or investments for security. What kind of um, direction would you say the youth need to focus their attention on so that it's more hopeful for them and they don't get despondent, but it's also something tangible to which they are contributing? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I mean, I think it's, this is a bit of a human problem is that we tend to focus on what's, you know, the problems right in front of us instead of the ones that are, even if they're two hours away, um, you know, in terms of various timescales. But I think for, and I, certainly I could share that frustration in terms of the lack of priority that water gets within not only the climate space, but just even globally. Um, and I think the the commission's report on the economics of water really highlights you know some of the the urgent need to to focus on water but i think for the use i think there's there's just a need to to recognize the i guess the the requirement of transformation within the sector and that needs to be seen through governments and governments aren't great at this because they're they often have you know, short mandates of you know four to six years, and then they shift, and so they're they're trying to appease people within those time time windows. But also, I think you know, really pushing the private sector as well and others to move away from the way that we traditionally managed water when we had a degree of stability across you know and and predictability within precipitation and and availability to really recognizing the tools and and approaches that are out there already and i think a lot of these solutions exist already um to manage water in an uncertain future and but the challenge is is that there's so many systems that are built that profit from the past approaches and so that's where i think the youth need to call out those systems and put pressure um, and it's not just the youth, it, it requires all of us. But, you know, moving away from very traditional grey infrastructure as a, as a tool to manage water in an uncertain climate is essential if we're going to get anywhere. 
Thank you, Nate. And um, I'm, I'm looking out across the, the East River uh, and uh, some hazardous waste sites over there. Perhaps we could just close on that issue that's often neglected even in the water world itself. It's the issue of water quality, water pollution. And that comes in many shapes and sizes. So do you want to talk, talk to that and, and where, where you think we should be going as, as, as a community or let's say from the United Nations perspective or, or whatever perspective you think it should, should come from? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. And yeah, I just don't feel like we've learned many lessons from the past. It feels like what we you know, flush away or deposit into river systems and oceans is, is out of sight, out of mind approach still pervades around most of the globe. And there is a, you know, a resources approach to this, but it's also just the types of rules. And I live in the UK and our waterways are exceptionally polluted. I mean, it's horrible. The sewage dumping in there, the agricultural runoff, etc. It's it's an awful situation right now. And there is increasing campaigns and pressure being put on politicians to address this, but there's still millions being made on these, um, just a, a neglect of these externalities of, of business. And I, so I think that's the key for me, and I, I guess this often comes down to the discussion on anything environmental, is just how do we properly account for the externalities, the true costs of, mm. of you know, managing water, and, and, and that includes the treatment of it, etc. But it is, it's worrying because you do see the impacts of the pollution on, and, and water quality, and we've seen that in the past, and with a growing population and increasing consumption, this will, will only continue to be it will only continue to increase. And so I think, again, it needs to be much more uh, front and center on the agenda than it is currently, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Nate. I don't know whether, Safa, you have some uh, last question or comment. Yeah. question. We are almost at the midway of the conference. There's one, two more, one more day to go. What, what are you hoping? What are the, at the most optimistic outlook? What do you think the three key outcomes of this conference should be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I so I mean, it's a, there's no binding commitment that will come out of the conference. We know that. Most so optimistic. most optimistic. I think you know if you had some real significant commitments, say from a cohort of you know private sector leaders others around water management and and really starting not I'm not so concerned about who wins a race but starting a race around that and and seeing the private sector take real leadership and using this as a as a way to advance that I think that that would be great I think if you could see the UN coming together more and and raising water within the climate agenda I think that would be fantastic. Um, so a real recognition that bringing, you know, the CBD COP and the climate COP and and this water event, you know, closer together, um, and and seeing water higher up in UNFCCC events, I think that would be a, a good result. Um, and then, I think, yeah, you know, just some some real bold statements and and delivery of those statements. I think, you know, from the leaders, uh, and the, and that bold statement could be, you know. Conserving fresh water, protecting of rivers, it could be various things. So you're seeing a lot of, I think, what I would say, again, back to the point on fragmentation, fragmentation on action agendas and on, you know, call to actions and things like that. I think more of that needs to come together. And so these are these are kind of broad painted picture goals, but just a, 
a general coming together and a much higher level of ambition and commitment and delivery of action for me would be a huge result. Um, so it's not a one specific thing because I think there are too many specific things in the broad arena of water that need to be done. But I think if we see it, if we see the momentum out of this ramp up, that would be a huge result. You're listening to the Water Justice Podcast. To stay up to date with the program and other content from the Water Justice Hub, you can follow the Hub on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook at Water Justice Hub. Quentin and Safa also caught up with Jackie Ramond for some reflections on her participation at the UN Water Conference. Jackie is the lead on integral ecology at the Australian Catholic University and wears multiple other hats. The New York Water Conference, UN Water Conference was a amazing spot where everyone came together and it was the conference that happened. The first one was in 40-something years ago. And the second one was this year. And so leading to that, you were also involved in um, a scoping solidarity event before the conference. And so bringing all of that in mind, what were some of the expectations and hopes you had going into the conference? Thanks, Safa. Yeah, it was a big deal, I think, because as you said, the last water conference I think it was 1976 so I I was you know <laughs> an ankle biter <laughs> I was young and so had no consciousness of that time so almost 50 years later I was absolutely delighted to be invited to join the group uh going from ANU uh to New York for for this big UN water conference I'd never been to a UN conference actually so it was new to me in terms of the process um, and being there with all those high-level, you know, state leaders, um, policy advisors, uh, all the different, you know, not-for-profit enterprises, the scientists and uh, academic bunch. It was it was a huge gathering. There li- were literally thousands of events happening. So my experience would only shed a light, I think, on on some of those things that I was able to attend. Um, some of the big gatherings were, were amazing to be witness to and some of the smaller workshops that were very interesting indeed because it was where uh, different perspectives on water were being particularly dialogued about. Um, I think what it all really um, connects us to is how important water is for life on earth, how it connects us all and how there's a huge uh, gap between our water practices at the moment um, and the quality of water that people have access to and having access to um, clean water as a right for all humans, but beyond that for creation to really be the kind of place that enables us to thrive and flourish uh, it needs to be well connected in terms of water for all creatures and, you know, the connection points with the non-living world um, and the processes that have been blocked, uh, polluted, uh, damaged, need cleaning up. All of that was brought to light, I think, in different ways at the conference, whether we were listening to the voice of 
the different state leaders when they were sharing their commitments um, and, and the work they've been doing with water, but also what they want to see happen with water, looking at the kinds of policies that emerged and also the commitment of the dollar values and what they were being committed to as a result of the conference really highlights a huge amount of work that is yet to be done um, when we look at being, you know, one common home on earth and having this incredible precious resource that we only see in this flowing state on our planet when we look out into this massive universe. So, you know, it sharpened the lens for me and it certainly helped bring about that awareness um, of the call for justice with this. And I think that's what our group is particularly on about as well. So uh, the societal dialogue event you mentioned that we had the evening before the conference started was um, an event that attempted to initiate some dialogue about water justice with people who um, came from different sectors, different places to be at the UN water event, and also some local people who live in New York um, who could share from their experience uh, their relationship with water and the problems that they'd experienced, but also the ways in which they could see uh, that we need to go forward. So it was really inspiring, actually. Was there, among all of these, uh, everything that you witnessed and all of the messages that you had seen in those um were in the conference was there any one specific thing that really stood out to you yeah i think the the collaborative call um seeing so many people turn up for this the amount of queuing we had to do to get in to different rooms and have the passes and everything else really highlighted for me the fact that this this is core business for everybody whether they were there with a uh, particular interest in food, seeing how important water is with food, that we don't separate these things as being basic rights and the accessibility of that and the processes of how we grow food. The connection with water is everywhere, whether it's climate change, you know, the the, the huge issues um, that we face at this time, not only in terms of mitigation but adaptation, how it's, you know, it's, made worse the amplification of of the water crisis uh, with climate change together. Seeing all the relationships between things happen because people were willing to have that time and collaborate. So it gives me hope to see that level of collaboration happening. Yes, it's quite lofty at a UN event in terms of the ideals of what it's trying to achieve, but there was a lot of grounded practice being shared in the sessions I was in. And I think that gave me some insights, not only in the context of where we're living in, in you know, Oceania, but also in places like Latin America um, and the kind of focus that's being brought to bear to work across the divides, you know, the societal divides, um, the ecological social divide, but also the spiritual divide um, with, with the physical nature of water and how it's often seen in terms of those terms and connecting it at a spiritual and cultural level, that also was really encouraging in terms of the collaboration. Lovely to, to hear this integration, the listening, um, the ecology, the spiritual, uh, the hope. It's it's a wonderful message, Jackie. Uh, uh, have you ever thought of becoming Secretary General of the UN? <laughs> 
Well, I think <laughs> that's a funny question. I haven't been asked that one before, Quentin. Good on you. Um, I don't know how well that would go down with my uh, family, but uh, <laughs> I'd have to do a bit of consultation yes. on that that question before I even thought <laughs> even more about it. But look, I think we all need to step up, don't we, with this call? So it it, it certainly needs to happen at those high levels. But I think wherever we are, you know, in our local ecosystem context. Water connects us. It's often invisible. It's underground, but also the surface, the salt water and the fresh water. Understanding all of that in our local ecosystems and being able to bring that into conversations with people in our local places is part of that work. So I think we've all got to be, um, you know, a, a UN Secretary General in our, our lifetimes, and to make that real. Um, you know, it's a consciousness story, and it's it's a it's a research story, it's a advocacy story, um, and it's something we can all do. Thanks, Nikki. So maybe I'll, I'll break it from the UN Secretary General down to the the, the the average listener like like me who's saying, well, you know, I, I gather water's an issue. Maybe we've got too much, too little, too dirty, etc. But what am I going to do? I mean, obviously, everyone needs to make their own choices and, and the context will, will differ. But perhaps do you want to talk through this idea of you, know, you mentioned advocacy, you mentioned research, you mentioned activism, you mentioned coming together? I mean, how would you I mean, what would, is there any advice to be given or is it just simply, you know, make make your own way? Or do you think there's something that that you could offer in terms of the sorts of things that they should think about or the questions they might want to pose to themselves that they want to answer in terms of how they respond to the to the boil water crisis. Thanks Quentin. Yeah, there there are some really key questions I think around um and I've already mentioned one like who who are we listening to about water? You know, what are our sources of knowledge? And I think we've got to challenge ourselves to find the voices that we're not hearing um, to go out of our way to do that. It's not that hard these days with the internet to go online and have a look at what the Water Justice Hub is up to, uh, but to see what local people are saying in terms of traditional people, First Nations, um, to, to take the time in our local catchment area to understand how water is flowing and um, to ask ourselves how we're, you know, consuming water, how much of it, when we look at our water bill, how much is flowing through our pipes and taps and showers and baths and so forth, um, whether we're watering gardens. Have we got native gardens that don't need watering because they actually have got the replenishment of the rainfall and they hold water uh, in a different way? You know, there's so many connections with water for all of us. Um, you know, I think most people, uh, from my perspective, in and I guess we all live in our own bubble of connectedness, but, you know, keep cups and, and carrying water bottles. Um, you can see one behind me. It's just, it's just what I do. And I think for our children growing up, certainly my kids, there's no plastic bottles. And if they ask me to buy them one, I just say no. Like I think <laughs> refusing uh, that is really important. I mean, if it's a matter of life and death, I can understand reaching for the, the water bottle in that, that sense. But I think just building it into our everyday choices, our everyday practices, our awareness of, of you know, when we are buying things and thinking about um, 
you know, water filtering as well. Considering that maybe there will be another UN water conference in the next maybe two years, three years, five years, what would you like to see accomplished in that next five years optimistically? Mm. And so to put forward in the next UN water conference, where do you think would be the super optimistic situation that would be we would be at in that five years time? Thanks. I think um, futuring is such important work to be doing so that we are consciously moving towards the world we want to be in and create and support. So for me, having recently just been to uh, Broken Hill and the Barker River um, and seeing firsthand how fragmented the system is, I've seen it in other parts, the Murray River and other places where there's uh, weirs up in um, near Camden in, in the Fitzroy River and other places, how devastating it is to block the flow of surface water. So for me, I would really like to see uh, these concrete, um, you know, really obstructive, um, massive engineering architecture that was put in in the 1950s, 60s removed. That would bring me a, in my heart, I would feel a major flow um, of probably blood, but good energy because that sense of our waters flowing again freely so the fish can swim upstream and do what they do naturally so that the you know 260 plus species of birds just in that spot have got fresh water uh, flowing rather than these really you know degraded polluted waters that they're raising their chicks around and feeding from and washing themselves in you know it really was devastating to see the impact of that kind of infrastructure I'd like to see us move in that direction with the community voices um, being heard um, with a greater sense of urgency about what is at stake in terms of the loss of of life and livelihood. Um, The fact that we used to be able to drink fresh water out of our streams and creeks and rivers and we can no longer do that ought to be a major um, concern for everybody. Um, And I think there's a block because we can turn on a tap in a city context and forget about all of that. So so there's a consciousness raising that I'd like to see happen that's, you know, lifted up by people but taken up by our leaders as well so that there's a a sense of political leadership on this. So um, ecological policy uh, is reflected in our legislation and our actions in these next five years. And I think that would be, you know, something that could happen all around the world where these major engineering feats that looked fantastic in the 50s and 60s were seen in a whole nother frame, a much more uh, critiqued frame from an ecosystem perspective, First Nations perspective. Um, So that would be one huge wish um, and hope and something to, um, to work towards together. And I think access and quality of water is so important for everybody. I'd like to see that become far more of a norm for communities in remote and rural parts of uh, our country in Australia, but also Pacific Islands are under a huge amount of threat with climate change and the saltwater intrusion by sea level rise is a significant concern. So relying on, you know, very... um, 
uneven distribution of rainfall is not sustainable there. And I think that ought to be um, a great motivator for us to not keep causing uh, the same problems. So so that's in, in the scheme of it for me because it's so interrelated with climate change. Um, so there are a couple of things that's probably taken us to time. But, you know, if you let me keep going, I'll keep futuring for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, please, please keep going. I mean, perhaps perhaps we could just end with a, maybe any closing um, thoughts to us. One of the things I heard from you today, Jackie, and it's it's always inspiring uh, listening to you, it's that uh, it's a sense of hope and it's not hope based on some some <laughs> some pie in the sky um, stuff. It's uh, it's grounded, very much grounded in terms of what you understand and how you live your life and the experience and your knowledge. So maybe maybe we could end on that bit because I I think certainly from my perspective and perhaps Safa, I don't want to speak for her, but you know it, it can be hard to to keep keep the hope so to speak going given the challenges that we've talked about today with you, but, but what, what is it, you know, what, what keeps you going in that sense? And, um, and if you could share that, um, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, that'll be, that'll be fine. Um, Cause I, I do, we want to keep, we want to keep that flame alive. <laughs> yeah, we do. And I think what, what certainly nourishes me on the journey of being in relationship, you know, with, with each other, with creation and with a sense of, having purpose that comes from a higher source of being, whether we call that God or our source of life, Buddha, whomever it is, I think for me that that real um, triangulation of relationship uh, keeps spurring me on to know that uh, every every choice we make and the differences we can make in our uh, relationships has an impact that's for the good. So that that call to live uh, a life that's based on that faith and that the practices really matter, um, that they are a witness to our children, to everybody, um, and that we're here for such a short time uh, and in such a short time we've seen a lot of damage done. So our work to clean it up, uh, to create a, a place that is far more like um how it once was in terms of being able to drink that water straight from sources um, around us to not live in fear is something we need to actively work towards. And that's with a sense of nonviolence, but it's with a sense of voice and purpose. So for me, um, being able to work with other people who are on that journey and to keep inviting people on the journey, I think, um, gives me fresh energy every day. That's a wonderful way to end. I don't know whether Safa has a comment or two, to, but thank you so much, Jackie. Over to you, Safa. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful listening to all of your insights and also aspirations for the future. Thank you for listening to the Water Justice Podcast. If these ideas inspire you, please subscribe and consider sharing. This episode is executive produced by Quentin Grafton, convener of the Water Justice Hub, at the Australian National University and edited by Michael Magali. Thank you to the guests for making this possible.